I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. So we are about a week out from the combine. We're a couple of weeks away from free agency, and then the draft will be here before you know it. Feels like we have these sort of conversations with the Jets every year because they haven't been in the playoffs in over a decade. People want to see the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and they really want to see that sort of progress. We want to know if the Jets are currently on the progress train. So who's going to help us out with that? Our main man from The Athletic, our Jets extraordinaire. We welcome back to the show, Connor Hughes. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? I'm doing well. How about yourself? All's good, Connor. And another football season is coming on. Another year with the Jets have been nowhere close to the postseason. No surprise, though. Let's be honest. Listen, you and I had a conversation at my golf outing in July. We're doing that again, right? You got that again? Oh, we're working on that. I don't know the date yet. That that better come back. It will be an event, and we'll have the same conversation, hopefully not with the same results for Jet fans, but I think I had him at, like, five wins. You might have had him at, like, six wins. So, like, I don't think we were delusional in, like, thinking they were going to be some sort of playoff contender and that, you know, they'd be nine wins, ten wins. No, we never really saw that. But now we're at the point, Connor, where Jet fans are going to say, all right, the freebies are over. There's no mulligans. You need to be a competitive team in 2022. Is that like reasonable? Forget about wins, but like they can't be a five-win team and be pounding their chest saying that they made progress. No, and and if this team's another five, four, if this is another four-win season coming up, another five-win season coming up, uh, injuries or no injuries, we're going to be having a conversation about the need to change general managers. And we're going to be having a conversation almost like the Giants had last year where it was like, okay, do you move on from Dave Gettleman and keep Joe Judge? Do you just completely wipe it clean after two years? What do you do? I mean, those are the conversations we're going to be having if this is another four or five win football team. I mean, that just, 
it can't happen anymore. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals have kind of shown that the turnarounds don't have to take 10 years. And I understand that the the mess that Mike McCagnan made of this franchise during his four or five year run as general manager put this team back. I understand that Joe Douglas had to and and had significant work to do, but when you consider the 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 significant whiff that he had with that 2020 draft class, as good as 2021 was, I mean, you can't have another 2020 draft class. You know, you need more 2021s. You need to take that significant step forward. And and you said competitive football. I, I'd even go a step further. I mean, you kind of see some of these teams now with that extra wild card spot. There is no reason that December shouldn't come, and we shouldn't be sitting here if we're back on this in the show, hunt graphic, just, Connor. Can I get exactly. the Jets in the in the hunt graphic at one exactly. point in the month of December? Exactly. And you're not going to say playoffs. I'm not going to guarantee playoffs. I'm not going to say they have to make the playoffs or everyone's getting fired. But in December, there should be scenarios where we're going into Week 17, where we're going into Week 18. And we're saying, okay, if this team wins, this team loses, and the Jets win, the Jets can get in. Whether they get in or not, I don't know. But seven, eight, nine wins, that absolutely should be what this team is able to accomplish when you consider the fact they've got the fourth most cap space of any team in the NFL, and they have an absolute boatload of draft picks that they can either use to select players or use to trade and acquire veteran-proven players. So, I mean, you're right. The, the days of competing, the days of seeing, my oh, you know, we didn't lose by three touchdowns, only one. Those are over. The, the Jets need to win some football games, get in that seven, eight, nine uh, area. And then, you know, that'll be legitimate progress. If not, I mean, I, I, I think it, it might be time for some changes again. Okay. You mentioned they are well positioned. They have been well positioned in the past when it comes to free agency. And my fear always with free agency, Connor, is that you're not getting these guys in many cases at the peak of their greatness. You're getting them maybe right off of that year and they're about to hit the decline, or maybe you get the tail end of a prime for a year or two. So I always love the idea of complimenting my team in free agency. Yeah. But like the work that you need to do to get this team to the next level, it's got to be a draft like last year, where you get an Elijah Moore, where you get a Michael Carter, where you get legitimate game changers on this team. Do you expect the Jets to be spending money in the next couple of weeks like drunken sailors? kind of like they did in the Le'Veon Bell year? Or do you think it's going to be far more calculated from this regime? If the Jets had finished this past year with two wins, like it looked like was was legitimately possible at one point, if they had finished with three wins, like we thought were legitimately possible, I did foresee a situation where this free agency was going to be a little bit more wild than what you would expect. And, and there's a lot that goes into that. You know, Woody Johnson obviously is back and, and anyone who has followed the Jets in any way, shape or form during his tenure as owner knows that patience isn't exactly one of the virtues that he possesses. You know, Christopher Johnson, when he was running it, he did. Christopher was almost patient to a fault, trustworthy to a fault with the people that he put his belief in. And you saw him step aside and say, okay, if this is a five-year process, we're going to trust this five-year process until obviously Mike McCagan and Adam Gase uh, we're so bad that it got it to the point where they let him go. Woody Johnson's not that. Woody Johnson's going to be ticked off when he sees empty stadiums. He's going to be ticked off when he's reading headlines about how this guy should be fired and this isn't good enough and this should be better and that should be better, yada, yada, yada. So it was trending in a direction that I felt Joe Douglas was going to get desperate, that Joe Douglas was going to spend like a general manager whose job is on the line. And you were going to see him get involved in free agency in ways that I don't necessarily think were, were what he would have done when he first got hired, what he would have done if Christopher Johnson was still really running point on, on the ownership side of things. 
the way that the Jets season ended with them playing some competitive football, Zach Wilson getting better, the young players progressing, the number of injuries that they had. I think that Joe Douglas goes into this year kind of sticking with status quo. Now, will they be a little bit more aggressive in free agency? I think you will see them be a little bit more aggressive. Will they have those CJ Mosley, Le'Veon Bell-like signings? No, I don't see that. But but I could see them going out there and signing one of these top safeties that's supposed to be available, available whether that's Jesse Bates from the Bengals or uh, the Quandre Diggs from Seattle or Marcus Williams from the Saints. I think you'll see them be heavily evolved and come away with the, at least one of those three. If Schultz, Dalton Schultz, hits free agency from the Cowboys, I think the Jets will absolutely be involved in him. Uh, Brandon Scherer from Washington, from what I understand, is supposed to hit free agency. I think you could see the Jets being involved with them. I mean, I think you'll see them get involved in certain areas where they believe they'll be able to have value. But with the way the Jets were able to improve and players were able to improve and end this season, at least semi with the arrow, at least pointed somewhat up. I think you're going to have Joe at least stick with this where it's built through the draft, complement and free agency, but you will see him be slightly more aggressive in free agency than he's been in the past. Do you have a favorite free agent target for the Jets? It seems like yeah, I mean, you want him to go and get a safety. Would you say getting one of those yeah. safeties is your number one priority? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of the problem, I mean, Jets defense and Jeff Ulbrich received a lot of criticism last year for for how bad that defense was. And and the defense was bad. It, it was one of the worst in the NFL, man. But I think when you look at the number of injuries that they had and specifically the number of injuries at certain positions, you almost kind of had to throw your hands up and say, like, what do you expect? I mean, Elijah Riley, Ashton Davis, you know, the, those were guys. Jason Pinnock. I mean, these were guys that weren't even expected to play. In some cases, not expected to be on the roster. And they're starting and playing meaningful reps. I mean, the Jets literally signed Elijah Riley off the Philadelphia Eagles practice squad, and he's their starting safety like two weeks later, you know? So I, I think that safety position is generally one where you can find a lot of value in free agency. You know, pass rusher, it's it's very rare that you find a player like the um, uh, Trey Hendrickson, like the Bengals were able to sign away from the Saints. Those, those situations are very rare. Uh, not usually do you find those elite level players at corner and at defensive end and pass rusher and things like that, because when you get one of those players, you hold on to, them. you know what I mean? You don't let those guys go. You hold on to them and you keep them in your building and, and worst case scenario is you trade them for a bounty, but you don't let those guys hit free agency. But when it comes to tight end safety, interior defensive line, interior offensive line, those are sometimes where you can find some really good players and some really good value there in free agency. And, when you look at this Jets defense and how bad it was, I do believe that you had two really good safeties for this defense. And I think you'll have a resounding impact across the board because suddenly that's going to alleviate pressure off the corners and make their lives easier. If the corners' lives are easier, suddenly the pass rush is going to have more time to get home. So I think adding a veteran there is going to be an ideal situation for the Jets. And, and when you look at the number or the names, I should say, of the players that are going to be out there in free agency this year, that's one of those positions that I think is going to be pretty deep. And tight end is another one. Obviously, Dalton Schultz is, is the one that's kind of the apple of everyone's eyes. He, he's you, the number one free agent target, right? Because he's the most complete tight end, you would say? Yeah, it depends. I mean, I heard someone say that he's expecting like 13, 14 million annually. Wow. So if that's, yeah. If, wow. if that's, the, that's, I mean, I mean it's free that. agency. I shouldn't be surprised by that, Connor. I shouldn't yeah, be surprised. Yeah. And if that's the case, like, I mean, I've still heard that the, the, Cowboy, the Cowboys want to keep them. And the issue, Cow, the issue with the Cowboys is that they're over the cap. You know what I mean? So they got to find a way to shed some cap to potentially use that franchise tag. But if he hits free agency and he's not settling and, and there's going to be some team that gives him a 13, 14, like Schultz is a really good, good player. I would call him that. He's a very good player. He's not great. He's not Travis Kelsey. He's not George Kittle. He's not in anywhere in that stratosphere. So if he starts looking for that 13, 14 million dollars a year, that's when I'd say, okay, let's pump the brakes back. Let's look at option B for the tight end market. And that's where you have David Njoku is out there. OJ Howard is going to be out there. Evan Ingram is going to be out there. What you do you can think about Gisicki? Some- 
What do you think about Gesicki for the Jets? I think he's a stud. I, I think he's really, really good. The issue is, I mean, you would know more about this. Well, than he me, don't. Pull, well, it comes down block. to the Dolphins' scheme and whether or not they think he can block. And that's my yeah. question with the Jets. You bring in Mike Gesicki, he's going to help Zach Wilson. He is yep. going to be a guy that you can count on on third down. But if you think you're getting like a prototypical tight end with him, Connor, he is not a prototypical tight end. He's a very different player. I love yeah. him. I hope the Dolphins keep him, full disclosure. And and you look across, I mean, you, you look at Mike LaFleur's offense, which is Kyle Shanahan's offense. You look at the, I mean, that has been historically very good to tight ends. I mean, you can go back to Jordan Cameron, obviously George Kittle, but you can go Fred Davis. I mean, Chris Cooley was probably the only one who had success in the Shanahan system. That was a little bit unorthodox where he was like that H back, didn't really block, lined up in weird positions, smaller guy. I think he was like 6'2", 6'3"-ish. So that's one where I would say that, but most of the other guys that all had a lot of success within that scheme with Shanahan were all prototypical, normal tight ends that could run or that could uh, get out in the pass patterns and also block as well. So uh, in my opinion, if they don't end up getting Schultz or Schultz is priced out of what they're willing to pay, I think that's where it makes sense to potentially go the 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 route of stealing one from your from your divisional rival or coming away with an OJ Howard or coming away with an uh, David Njoku and then using the third round pick you have or one of those two second round picks or or one of the the number of selections that you have in this draft and you go and you select the tight end because there's a number a number of players uh, at the tight end position in this year's draft they're not Kyle Pitts they're not elite elite level playmakers and talent in that regard but they're 10-year starters in the NFL. And if you can go grab one of those guys in, in the second, third, fourth round of the draft, pair him with a free agent signing, I mean, you will give the Jets arguably their best outlook at the tight end position that then probably since, as long as I've been covering the team back to 2015, because this team's had an issue at tight end probably since they let Dustin Keller go. I mean, they, they've really had an issue at tight end. Aside from uh, a, a minor... Uh, a brief little moment there with Austin Safarian Jenkins. It's been an issue with the position. Wow, that's a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Austin Safarian Jenkins, that Patriot game. Don't get me started. Don't oh, get yeah. me started. Um, we talk about the weaknesses of this team all the time. If you're going to pinpoint a strength that the Jets have moving forward, I wonder if we're aligned on this, Connor. Do you think the offensive line could be a strength for this team? I think we saw that in the second half of the year. I think they need another guy or two to maybe take it to the next level. But I kind of like where they're at on that offensive line, dude. I do. Yeah, I, I would say, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a strength yet, but I would say it's not a weakness, and which is, which is it's absolutely a step right? in the right. It's yes. emerging. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I'd look at it. Like Vera Tucker, dude, he is a He's stud. A stud. He's yeah, a that stud. guy's good. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, I think you're probably two pieces away uh, taking into consideration the uncertainty of Makai Beckton from that offensive line being considered good to great to, to a strength to one of the better in the NFL. I mean, you still need a right guard bat. I mean, that, that's right now you need it. You need another right guard. And then depending on what happens with Makai Beckton, you probably need another offensive tackle, whether he develops, whether he doesn't. I mean, but when you talk George Fan on one side, Makai Beckton, if they're able to bring back Morgan Moses, Elijah Vera Tucker, Connor McGovern, and then they're, they're going to add a right guard at some point in free agency. Do you think they add the a right guard free agency or draft? It depends on who's there. Honestly, it's so tough because, like, Sheriff is the one that I think would be a good fit. His issue is durability. You know how much the Jets have dealt with injuries lately. I don't know if they're going to go sign someone who's missed. I think, like, the last three years, he's missed four games each. And it's like, amazing every year the difference with Washington games. when he plays and when he doesn't uh -huh. play. Oh, he's a the stud. Numbers and he's great like, on field. They're, they're insane, dude. They're insane. Yeah. Oh, and he's great on he's great on the field. He's great off the field. He's a leader. He's a, a, a lunch pail guy. I mean, he, he absolutely fits every bit of the player that Joe Douglas would want. 
Uh, the Jets have the money, too, to go out there and sign him where it wouldn't be too much of an issue. I think the problem just is, is durability. I mean, the Jets' biggest issue of the last two years has been health. And are you going to go sign a player that is, like I said, I think it's the last three or four years he's missed four games each of those seasons. So that's, that's, a, that's a problem. Um, but they're going to add a right guard at some point, whether it's draft or free agency. I don't know yet. That's where we're actually, the combine's coming up, man. That's where those rumors and rumblings are going to be going rampant. We're, we're, we'll, we'll have a better understanding of this if we talk on Monday of next week or Monday in two weeks, as opposed to, you know, right now, we'll have a better understanding of, of all of that. But I think the offensive line is, is in a significantly better position than when Joe Douglas took over because you at least have competence up front. I mean, if they, for example, if they were to bring back Morgan Moses, sign someone or even just bring back LDT at right guard and you go back with the exact same group that you had this year into next year and you have Makai Becton competing for one of those tackle spots, that's a group that is competent and, and it has the potential of everyone hits and Vera Tucker takes another step forward and you get the same production out of, out of Fant and McGovern. You're talking about a group that could even be considered good. So I don't know if I would say strength yet. I still think they need another offensive tackle and a guard for it to be considered a strength. But it's not a weakness. And and considering where this offensive line was three, four years ago, that's that's really saying something. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We have a mutual buddy in common, the great Joe Beningo. And he has a favorite Jet from last year. His name happens to be Braxton Berrios. So I had Braxton Berrios on at the Super Bowl. And he was great. You know, he Money, my friend. Well, basically, exactly. He said, look, I love being a Jet. I had a great year here. It was a breakout season, but it's a business. He stressed that to me. He goes, it's a business. So basically, high is bitter is getting Braxton Berrios. I think he's going to have interest on the open market. He's outstanding on special teams. He kind of came into his own as a wide receiver. Connor, I know they have Corey Davis. I know they have Elijah Moore, who was a stud for them. The quarterback liked Braxton Berrios. The offense found a way to use Braxton Berrios. I think the Jets got to bring this guy back. How realistic is that? I Here's what I would say. And, and I, I'll say this to any Jet fan that, that asks, that any Jet fan that tweets me, DMs me, all that stuff. There is a problem that a lot of fans and analysts run into when they observe a bad football team. And they fall in love the, with players when they probably they fall shouldn't in love fall in love with, with players. They fall, in love with, they fall in love with average players on bad football teams. And Braxton Berrios is a very good special teamer. Showed he can be a kick returner, a very competent punt returner, and he's a solid slot receiver. Braxton Berrios is not great. Braxton Berrios is not nine, ten, eleven million dollars a year great. He's a he's a he's a he was a good player on a very bad football team. The Jets this offseason want to add a number one receiver. That is what they want—a true number one X. They don't believe that's Corey Davis. They think Corey Davis is more of like. Uh, if you think back to like the Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Bronco teams, like they view him as like the Eric Decker. He's the Robin to a Batman, a very, very good Robin, but he's not Batman. And that's what he was in Tennessee with AJ Brown. And it was perfect. Exactly. And so you add Corey Davis, you find, say they trade for Calvin Ridley or they draft this kid, Garrett Wilson, and he's your number one. You now got your number one X receiver. You got Corey Davis and you got Elijah Moore and Elijah Moore is, is your slot receiver. So right? they don't Those view are, Elijah Moore as a one. They kind of view him more of as a slot. No, no. I mean, 
you go one, two, I got three, it. They want to have two alphas, though, basically, a wide yes. receiver. And I Correct. think they have one and more, and you're telling me they're looking for yes, another. But more, okay. more's not an outside receiver. More, more can play outside receiver. More is the chance to be ridiculously special. He's in better slot. in the slot. I agree with yes, that. Yes, correct. So so if they, I mean, the NFL today, everything's three wide. So the Jets' dream scenario, hypothetically speaking, if they were to trade for Calvin Ridley, is you have Calvin Ridley on one side, you have Corey Davis on the other side, you got Elijah Moore in the slot for 60 of 65 offensive plays, with the five being on the goal line where you got no receivers on. That's their dream situation. You can sub Calvin Ridley out where it's, uh, you go get Garrett Wilson or... You trade for my or uh, sign Mike Williams, or you trade for somebody, you know, whatever. Like, just they want to get a number one receiver on one side. Those are your three wideouts, right? They want to add a tight end. That's another pass catcher. You're not taking him off the field. If you re-sign Braxton Berrios, you're going to be paying nine million dollars a year for a player who's going to be your your fourth receiver. Like, it's just like again, if they can get Braxton Berrios back at say five million dollars annually, six million dollars annually, I maybe would go to six and a half million dollars annually to be your kick returner, punt returner, insurance at slot number four receiver. Go ahead and do it. But if this guy goes out on the open market and he's got an offer for eight million, he's got an offer for nine million because some team like the Dolphins, like the Patriots, like like the 49ers, like some of the team that doesn't have a slot says, you know what, we're gonna give him this and he's gonna be our everyday slot receiver. Braxton Berrios with the Jets would not be their everyday slot receiver. He wouldn't because in their situation that they're trying to create, because they realize they don't have a number one receiver. They want an X. They want a number one. They bring back Berrios. They add that number one. He's in best case when this team is healthy, their fourth wideout. And you're not going to be paying $9 million to your fourth wideout who's going to play 15 offensive snaps a game. It's just not going to happen. So unfortunately, look, Braxton Berrios is a great guy, great in the locker room. Obviously, he was a, a, one of the very few bright spots on a very bad football team. I encourage everyone to not overinflate Braxton Berrios' worth. I mean, what, I, I gotta, I gotta bring it up here, but like his numbers aren't in any way, shape, or form. No, they're not eye popping. They're not. No, and, and and they never have been. And I, I don't think he's a bad player by any stretch of the imagination. But again, like, like taking an example, the guy played uh, 16 games this year with a start. He got 46 passes for 431 yards and two touchdowns last year. 37, 394, three. I mean, he's a solid contributor. I think he's solid off the bench. He's solid when Elijah Moore went down, he can go be your slot. When Crowder went down, he can go be your slot. He's a solid fill-in player. He's a very good special teamer, but you need to take that into consideration and not overpay for bad players or not overpay for the players that look good on a bad football team. Okay. Right? I mean, it's so basically though, what you're telling me though, Connor, and this is Benigo's worst nightmare, so I want to bring this up to you. He thinks he's going to the Patriots next year. And he's going to catch 95 passes and is going to turn into Wes Welker Jr. So basically what you're telling me is you I don't think do anyone's not... catching 95 passes with Mac Jones throwing the football. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I, I'm happening. not exactly got into a big fight with a couple of people out in Los Angeles about uh, Mac yeah. Jones. I'm not exactly waving the pom-poms. I mean, my goodness, talk about a guy who got exposed at the end of the year in the last game against the Dolphins and in the postseason. Yeah. But you don't see him breaking out is what you tell me with Berrios. You don't see Berrios turning into like this megastar going somewhere else. No, I, I could see Braxton Berrios being what Jamison Crowder was for the Jets the last two years, where he's a guy that's going to catch, I don't know, maybe he catches 70, 80 passes, but but it's going to be 800 yards, maybe 900 yards. I don't, I don't think you will ever have a situation where he is Wes Welker, where he is Julian Edelman, where he is a, oh my God, we are, our goal going into this game is we can't let Braxton Berrios beat us. You know, I don't think he's even as good as Hunter Renfro. Like, I, I think he is, a notch or two below Hunter Renfro, where where Hunter it's a third and Renfro really the good. That's he's what I'm saying. Really like, good. I think he's like I think he's a guy that probably his ceiling is seven or eight hundred yards a year. 
you know, is, is something like that. And, and look, if you're an everyday slot receiver, you can do that. But for the Jets, you're going to get significantly more from that out of Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore has a chance to be 11, 12, 13. He has a chance to be better than Renfro because he's more explosive. Like, that's what you have with, with, with Elijah Moore. And then you add that number one receiver into the mix. And then, look, I'll be honest with you. I think the Jets can go out there in the fourth or fifth round and draft a player that's going to give you the same thing that you would have gotten out of Braxton Berrios. Like, I genuinely believe that. Like, I, I get why fans love Berrios. I get that. But I look at him. I watch him. I've watched him all the time. I've ta- I remember talking to Gase about him when he came over. I remember talking to Sal about him. I've talked to LaFleur about him. Like, I get, I get why people like him. And the Jets do. They love him because he's 100 miles per hour every single play, every single rep of practice. I just don't necessarily see him as a guy that is a priority. We have to bring him back. Do you want to? Yeah, for $5, 6000000 million, he'll be back with the Jets again. But if it gets higher than that, seven and a half, eight and a half, nine million dollars, like some people think this guy's going to get on the open market, you shake his hand, you thank him for the last three years, and you move on, in my opinion. Very interesting stuff. So Braxton Berrios signs elsewhere, including the New England Patriots. We may have to remember this conversation. Okay. Yeah. I'll get it's freezing a- cold take. Uh, never, <laughs> Watch why you're going to have Welcome to my world, bro. Welcome to my world, 24 7, 365. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to say what they're going to do in the draft right now, specifically because you don't know how they're going to handicap and how they're going to attack and free, free agency. agency. Yeah. Once they attack free agency, you'll know what the glaring and obvious needs for this team mm-hmm. are. But you mentioned the idea of the Jets trading a pick potentially for a ready-made veteran NFL player. Yeah. Can you see that being a first-round pick, Connor, or are we talking about second, third-round picks? You know, originally I did because I was, I didn't realize, I kind of had to do some more research on, on the Ridley because I was like, man, for, like, you, you tra- I th- here's my thing. And th- this is my stance on draft picks. And I, 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 anyone who has read me for a long time knows I hate the NFL draft. Like, I really do. Like, the way, like, this is something where if you're batting 250 or 300 in your draft, you're considered a guru. I mean, yeah, you oh, swing sure. and miss. You swing and miss so much more in the NFL draft than anything else. It is it is absurd to me how often people just miss on draft picks. Yet general managers and 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 talent evaluators and executives, they value these draft picks like they're gold, right? Like like the the Philadelphia Eagles are a perfect example. They got three first round picks. If they hit on one of those three first round picks, that's good. Like I was listening to the radio the other day and they were like, "Howie Roseman's like hit on two first round picks the last 10 years. Like why do we think he's just going to get all pros with every one of these?" I mean, go back and look at all of the NFL drafts for the last like five years. How many great first round picks are there? How many great second round picks are there? You can probably count them all on one hand. Like that's just a fact. And and I loved seeing what the the Rams what the Rams because the Rams because like, hey, they said we're good enough. Yeah. We got a foundation. Yeah, effort. We're winning. We're we're yeah. we're mortgaging the future. Yes. And listen, if it didn't work out, they wouldn't look as smart. But they had the foundation. They believed they could develop a fourth yes. or a fifth or a sixth round guy into being a player. Yeah. And they could kind of have that sort of roll of the dice approach. Now, the Jets can't approach it that way because, listen, they don't have that talent base that the Rams do. So yeah. maybe if the Jets get that talent base, we can have that conversation. You got to have that first. But I love the Rams approach, dude. I love so it. Why? Stafford, it made perfect sense. Yes, get proven play. Because the whole thing is like, would you have traded? Like, if you, if you told me, you were going to get Matt Stafford with the 32nd pick in the draft. Would you do that deal? Yeah, Done. everyone would do that. Like, that's what, like these are proven players. But for some reason, it's almost like, and it's funny too, because like the draft picks, as soon as they're used, it's like, a, it's like a, a new car being driven off the lot. It depreciates in value 40%, right? Like it's a meat, like the Jets, like the Jets drafted Mekhi Beckton the first round two years ago. He wasn't more of the first round pick after last year. Like it's, it's wild to me. So 
Joe Douglas seems now that that he's he's more comfortable with the state of the roster. He kind of likes the way that he's he's gotten the roster to this point uh, or at this point to this point. That when we talked to him after the season, he was as open and willing vocally at the idea of trading assets for proven players than he's ever been before. And I think the Jets are now in a position where they need players. They need to get better. And so sometimes we're talking just, about guys, Ridley is a name that makes sense. Yeah, I like him a lot. I do. What about Jerry Judy? Like him a lot, too. I do. I mean, and I, he's I'm realistic, less, you think? You think he could be available? I have to do some calls on that to see. I, I don't know. I know Ridley is because I know there's issues with Ridley and, and Arthur Smith and Atlanta. Would that scare you at all with the way it went down with Ridley at the end of last year? Uh, I, like, would I don't know have if I'm giving a up a home. first for him. You know, if no, he were so Rid- that's the thing. See, like if, if he, he were Ridley without any of this baggage, Connor, I'd say, yeah, sure. Like he yeah. is a stud. But some people He's- wouldn't. That's the thing, man. Like some people, like some people would tell you that say, like, we're going to hypothetically say Ridley doesn't have to go. Like he stepped away from mental health. Like say there was none of those issues that the only problem with him in Atlanta was him and Arthur Smith don't like each other. And because him and Arthur Smith don't want each other, he wants a trade. There will be people that go crazy over the fact of trading the number 10 pick for Calvin Ridley. If he had none of those off field issues. And I'd look at them and be like, why? When you are, if you're going in at number 10 and you're drafting Garrett Wilson, you're crossing your fingers and praying that he becomes Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley. So why not exactly. just trade the damn pick for the guy you know is good? Like, just well, listen, look at, look at Buffalo. Buffalo said yeah. we need a number one for Josh Allen. Now, you can make the argument Buffalo could have taken Justin Jefferson as good as he is. It yeah. worked out great for both teams. Buffalo got a proven guy in Dave. For every Justin Jefferson, there's a Denzel Mims. Man. Bingo. There's my five there's Denzel. A Denzel Mims. Uh, there's, you know, a Brashad Perriman, no knock on the rest of his career, but not exactly a household number one wide receiver. Plenty of guys who flame out. So I'm with you. And the Jets need that for Wilson. You like, if you think about what needs to happen between now and the start of training camp, they need to give Zach Wilson every opportunity, Connor, to go from being a rookie to a guy that can make a major leap in his second year. You got to do it now over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and look, I, I think that, with the Ridley one, I don't, after doing the homework on Ridley and after dealing some, doing some more research and talking to some other teams about like, you know, talking to people that look, that make these decisions that would be in the market to trade for these guys and saying like, what would you give up? I've heard it come down to a two, a two and change. It's a, it's a two should get it done. And you should do that pick. if you're the Jets. You and then, and then if they're able to loop in multiple, like if the Falcons are able to loop in multiple teams, that's when it becomes, okay, who makes the best offer? And that's when you loop in extra stuff. But the Jets should be in on that conversation. As long as the Jets do their homework, which I know they are. They're, they're in the process of doing their homework in Calvin Ridley. As long as they cross off and are not worried about his mental health and they are fine with him. And, and from what I understand, I've done my own, like, he, no coach or anyone has ever had a problem with Calvin Ridley going back to his time in college. Like, it has never been a problem really until this year. So as long as you can cross off all of the issues or concerns that you would have with him and then just go into, okay, we're trading for the player. You go and you give up a two and a four. You give up a two and a five. You give something like that. You go, you get your player. Now you know you have, yeah, you gave up a second round pick and a fifth round pick. If you told me you were getting Calvin Ridley in, in the second round, I would do it. Like I would 100% do that 11 out of 10 days. Like I, 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 would, I would do it every single time. So I think you are going to see this team and I think it's going to happen where they're going to make maybe not even one, but a couple of trades for proven players where they're going to use some of these draft assets, going to use some of this draft capital and they're going to move it for proven players in addition to fortifying the roster with with uh, some some talent. And the one thing that honestly, JJ, could, could make all of this super easy for them is that if they 
do trade, say, a second-round pick for, for Calvin Ridley, or they go and they trade for a corner, or maybe they trade for a safety, or they add another pass rusher, or they move some of their assets to go and get proven players. If the Steelers fall in love with one of these quarterbacks, if another one of these quarterback-needy teams falls in love with one of these quarterbacks in this year's draft, I don't think the Jets are married to selecting at number 10. And they could very easily move back from number 10, recoup some of the picks that they traded for proven players, recoup an extra first-round pick next year, and really continue to build out this cash of picks. I think they're going to make number four. They'll draft at number four. Number 10 is where I can see them going up or down from there. Final one. And we're not going to lock in anybody for a draft board yet, because if you do that, you're making a monumental mistake. We yeah. haven't had a combine. We haven't had free agency. There's a lot can happen. If there is a checklist, though, for you, Connor, Jets must accomplish the following between now and the start of training camp. And I know that's like a wide-ranging question, but yeah. like if there are three things that you need to see from Joe Douglas this offseason, what would they be? Uh, go get a wide receiver one, get a tight end. Uh, it's it's gonna be more than three, but you need. But between this is like it's a fact. I mean, it's you can't limit it. So to you're stressing three. as as many needs as they have on the defensive side of the ball. I think we both acknowledge rookie quarterback, rookie contract. Got to yeah. get talent around them so you could properly judge them. Yeah, I, I look. I, I'll be. It's it's more than. I don't think you can. I don't. I don't believe you can look at the Jets and say just accomplish these three and these three things and it's it's a successful offseason. Between today as we're talking and week one, they need this offseason, whether it's through draft or free agency, they need to have added a number one wide receiver. They need to have added a right guard. They need to have added a corner. They need to have added two safeties, and they need to add added another. Um, uh, a defensive end, another another pass rusher, and a tight end as well. I can't remember if I said tight end yet, but that those are those are the, the a lot of tight yeah, ends. Yeah, so I mean that that is that is what you have to do. It's 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 two safeties, it's a wide receiver one, it's a tight end, it's a right guard, and it's a corner. Those six things need to be acquired this offseason. There is no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts, there's no well, you got two of the three, no four of the six. No, it doesn't matter. You need to add all of those players in some way, shape, or form. Otherwise, this is just going to be another really, really long year. And obviously, everything everything hinges on Zach Wilson. That, that's obviously uh, goes without saying. But you need to do that. Like, that's just something that needs to be done. Trying to figure out how to fix the New York Jets. Who better than Connor Use the Athletic? Pal, thanks for a couple of minutes. I hope to see you on the golf course soon. Uh, it's warming oh. up. I see the sun coming out the window right now. So we'll get it's there. It's still like bro. 30 degrees outside. So probably not Today's great. But I'm, little, I'm already putting... With freezing rain, today's a little too chilly to get out there. But hey. Hope Springs Eternal, baby. Thanks for a oh. few minutes. I appreciate you, all right? Yeah, no problem, man. I'm, I'm putting together my team already for the JJ Scramble. So oh, it's got to be, like we're, it. we're coming for I the like win it. this year. Connor yeah. was hitting bombs last year, too. Major, major bombs. Thanks, buddy. Good stuff. So we go from Connor Hughes and his genius and how to fix the New York Jets to one of the linemen, LTD. He's up next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we welcome in a guy who has such a unique story, such a unique background. And, you know, anytime you're a guy who can be an expertise in the medical field, and find his way onto an offensive line, mauling people left and right. That's what you call a renaissance man. That's what you call a man <laughs> of many talents. Ain't that right, Laurent Duvernay Tardif? How are you, my friend? What's happening? Uh, I'm doing great. How you doing, man? All right. So let's start here. You take a year off. You're fighting COVID on the front lines. Then you get back into the NFL. How is the body feeling? I mean, my goodness, you're you're fighting the wars of 2020 as tough as anyone from the medical standpoint, then it's just back to reality, right? Mauling people, taking names, kicking ass, basically, right? <laughs> yeah, but to be honest, my buddy actually felt pretty good uh, coming into the 2021 season. Uh, a year off can do a lot of good to your body, and that's for sure. I can understand that. So for you, you take the year off. Was there any hesitation at all about coming back to the NFL, or was that something you always had planned for? Actually, it was kind of the opposite. You know, when I opted out in 2020, uh, I did it for my community. I did it to serve and I did it because, you know, I was going to be part of that medical community for the next 30 years when I'm done playing. But it was it was a tough call because, I, you know, I love football. You know, I love to be on the football field. So I kind of told myself, like, I'll do everything I can to get back out there. And uh, when I showed up to training camp in Kansas City, I broke my hand. Uh, it was kind of hard to, to find a way back on, on the starting job and and clearly the team kind of move on to, to a new offensive line as a unit. So I, I waived my no trade clause, ended up in New York and I was able to play for, for the last eight games of the season. And, and it felt amazing. You know, I it kind of remind yourself of how privileged you are to play football for a living uh, when you work on the front line uh, of a pandemic. So we have a lot of Jeff fans listening to this podcast. You guys were very spunky in a lot of games at the end of the year. The offense started to look a heck of a lot better as we progress throughout the season from your time with the jets, what was the biggest difference in what we saw with an offense that struggled to score points early in the year and then an offense that really in many ways found their footing. I mean, you look at that game against Tampa, you guys are scoring points. You guys are in a bunch of games. What changed for the jet offense? I think honestly, our ability to run the football and the amount of mental mistakes that went way down. I feel like we really came together as a unit People were starting to believe in each other, and we had a lot of people injured. But I mean, the coaching staff put it to, put together a, a plan that was effective. And like you said, I mean, we we were so close. Like the Tampa Bay game, I still I still have a nightmare about it because I felt like we should have won that game. It would have been a, a game defining moment in our season. But it is what it is, you know. But it gives give us a lot of like optimism heading into the next season. What happened on that fourth down play? In that Tampa uh, game. I mean, you go back yes. to it. Was that, <laughs> were, were, were you guys like, when you guys got that call there, were you guys all like totally perplexed? Like, and before, give him credit. He had an unbelievable second half. I actually thought he did a really good job of calling plays, but that's one, uh, LDT, let's be fair. That's one you guys would like back. Yeah, of course, everybody, a coaches, player, everybody would love it back, you know, and, uh, uh, we we ran uh, QB, QB sneak pretty effectively uh, when I was there, uh, but we were not able to do it in that most critical QB sneak of all time for us last season. And and then for sure, like we're gonna, it's gonna leave a mark, you know, because you want to win them all, and of course you can, but it's just the way it is. But 
winning it, winning it against uh, Tom Brady against, you know, Tampa Bay would have been huge for us. That's for sure. All right. You play with Zach Wilson, rookie quarterback. There's obviously going to be a lot on his plate. What was your takeaway spending some time with a guy who's got unbelievable arm talent? He's mobile, but raw. Did you notice a sense of progression through him and a lot more confidence as the season went along? Yeah, no, for sure. And like I said, like I, I got there like week, uh, what, week 10 of the season. Um, and I saw the difference. Uh, he, he was coming back of an injury. The, the first game he got back was my second game as a starter. And, and the, the difference between that moment and the last game of the season was was pretty impressive. So, like I said, it, it, I, I don't think our record really show. And you kind of said the, the same thing. Uh, um, uh, the talent that we have in the, in this room, uh, both offensively and defensively, and now it's just a matter of like putting everything together and, and showing up. You know, next September with uh, w- with a heck of a team, and I think we have everything to in our power to do that. Well, and you think about your franchise. You guys have two top ten picks. You have the ability to load up in other positions. I, I think if you look at your offensive line, though, LDT, let's be honest, that's probably the strength of the team. Do you kind of view it that way? Like, were you guys thinking, you know, we got an offensive line that's mauling people. You mentioned the success you guys had running the football. I think that's an offensive line. If you could bring a majority of those guys back, including yourself, I think the Jets are in a good place, good foundation going into 2022. Uh, I mean, I do agree with you. And I mean, I've, with the Chiefs, it was kind of the same deal. And I think it's the same thing everywhere in the league. Like you need an offensive line that's good and that's consistent and with depth because injury are part of what we do. And, and I think the, the offensive line that they were able to put together in New York last year was, yeah, was was pretty impressive. Like a lot of, they, they were saying how young we were and all that stuff. But you look at the line, we got a lot of guys that play like 40 plus game in the, in the league. So uh, I, I think it's uh, if we're able to bring those guys back, we have a lot of potential, that's for sure. Okay, Robert Sala, you went against him when he was the defensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers, but you had an opportunity to play for him. What was the biggest takeaway that you had learning from the Jet first-year head coach? You like playing for Coach Sala? Yeah, no, definitely. He's um, he's calm. He's a family guy. He's player-oriented. Um he let like the OC and the DC coach, and he's he's really more like I, th- I really feel like he's there to support us, you know. And and I've been with Coach Reed, who's also a heck of a, a head coach for for eight years, but um, it, it's just a different a different vision. I think Coach Reed was more offense oriented, Coach Sella is more defense oriented. But at the end of the day, they're both like players, coach, was which is what you want as a player. Like you want you want to play for somebody who's respecting what you're doing and try to put you in the best position so you can make plays. What was the biggest lesson you took from your time with Andy Reid? Everything. Everything. You know, like, Coach Reid's mother was actually one of the first women to graduate from McGill in medicine. Uh, Coach Reid has been there since day one to help me pursue my, you know, my twins career. Um, and I feel like he wants you to be a good football player, but even more so, he wants you to be the best human being possible. And for me, it was to do medicine for other guys. It was doing other stuff outside of, uh, of the field, you know, with their community and so on. And he was always a big like supporter of those kind of initiatives. So um, yeah, I, I feel like for me, coach Reed made me realize that the NFL is more than just football. Honestly, you played in this game not too long ago. Does it feel like yesterday LDT playing in the Super Bowl, taking on the San Francisco 49ers or 
in many ways, with what you had to go through in the medical field and then going to the Jets, does it feel like another lifetime ago? Huh. Uh, it's still pretty fresh. And I think one of the reasons is the, is the pandemic. You know, like, for me, the, for, the you know, the Super Bowl, the parade in Kansas City, that's like the last time that we were able to, like, celebrate with no limitation, no measure, no nothing. And uh, and in that regard, it feels like it was yesterday. And, uh, and I miss it, man. It was... Um, it's it's those life defining moment like to to win the super bowl you can be as good as a player you can be uh if you win the super bowl it kind of brings it to another a whole other level and and for me like i keep saying that but like graduating from med school was my personal accomplishment but winning the super bowl is the biggest you know team collective accomplishment that you can ever do and i think it goes to things that are way outside of football too like it's it's huge it's huge not too shabby to have a degree in medicine and a Super Bowl championship. Must be nice. So, LDT, tell me what you guys got <laughs> cooking. I mean, listen, that's talk about above my pay grade. Super Bowls and, and a doctorate? No, 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 no. That's I'll, I'll take my Syracuse broadcasting degree, and that's the best I'm going to do. But tell me what you got cooking over at Sleep Number. I mean, I've been uh, I've been partnering with uh, Sleep Number for the biggest part of 2021, and you know, I'm a, I'm a big data guy, and I'm sure it comes from my medical background itself, but uh, you try to perform as best as you can as an athlete. Uh, I feel like guys spend a ton of time in the weight room and so on. Like you, you also got to focus on your sleep, your rest, your nutrition. And, and with sleep number, it's like easy to do so. Like you look at your smart bed 360, like you got everything on your phone, your IQ bed score. Uh, you can change the, the setting on your bed. You can look at your heart rate and so on. And for me, like using that data for sure helped me perform better on the football field. LDT, keep up the good work, man. I hope you're mauling people, just not against my dolphins. You know, you can maul as many people as possible. <laughs> you know, let a couple of free rushes go in when you're playing my dolphins. In all oh, seriousness, no man. Way. I know, no, I know. <laughs> Listen, in all seriousness, you're an unbelievable story. Uh, what you did two years ago will not go unnoticed. We can't thank you enough, man. And stay safe. Continued success. All right, buddy? Appreciate that, man. So I, I think we have it all figured out, folks. This is how we're going to fix the New York Jets. Maybe a couple tweaks here or there. We'll see if we can have a uh, respectable 2022 season. We're back Thursday. Wall-to-wall calls. Get in on that. Trivia. Get in on that. Hopefully we have some positive things to report. We haven't had much of that the last couple of weeks. So uh, I could use a little positivity other than Paul O'Neill retirement. Number, ceremony, all that nonsense. How about something to feel good about? Maybe that's coming your way Thursday. All right, until then, JJ out. Forget it, brother.